Well, I haven't done one of these from the Apologies. <laughs> I say apologies. It's not apologies. I haven't done one of these in the Landro for a while because, A, I've uh, been busy in the studio rather than out and about. And when I have been out and about, I've been on a train rather than in the car. Um, and also, uh, I like the sound when I record on a proper microphone <laughs> rather than me sitting here like Madonna with her headset on. Uh, I hope I'm conjuring up an image. Anyway, it's a beautiful day. It's a Thursday. The sun is just pouring in through the windows. There's a lot of glass on a Land Rover or a Defender anyway. And so when you're in the sunshine, it really does feel, apart from the rattles and the noises, like you're out and at one with Mother Nature. I'm just driving off through the village. I'm Paul, and this is the Mastering Portrait of Well, good morning, everybody. When I say good morning, I have no idea what time it is where you're listening. Uh, the, the joy of podcasts. All I can do is paint a picture from where I am and imagine uh, where you are in both time zone, uh, daytime, location, <laughs> geography, uh, whatever. Uh, I hope you're all well. Thank you uh, for bearing with me. There's been a little bit of a break uh, in recording podcasts or at least publishing podcasts. And that has been entirely down to uh, the pressures on our diary. It has been a very busy start to the year. Uh, Obviously, with everything going on, uh, there's a degree of trying to find the right tone uh, for a podcast. Uh, And that isn't an easy one because, of course, uh, with everything in Eastern Europe and the pressures on oil prices and by knock-on effect, Uh, the pressures on people's living, eating, heating, breathing, all of those kinds of things. Um, It feels like a very weird start to the year. I have to say that having been massively excited about the beginnings of this year, because essentially, for all intents and purposes, it marked the end of two years of intermittent COVID lockdowns. And I was incredibly excited to start this year thinking, right, the fog is lifting, off we go. And of course, that hasn't really proven to be the case. If anything, this is going to be, in so many ways, a more complex and tricky year than any of the others. And on, in, in, as an illustration of that, the number of people I know who've, been, who've gone down with COVID this week is just ridiculous. Uh, not helped by the fact that we were in the Societies of Photographers convention in London uh, a week ago. Uh, myself and Sarah have just tested for COVID this morning something I thought ultimately we would not be having to do quite so much Uh, luckily we're both negative which is really good news but there are plenty of people around us who are positive and of course while I'm not having been vaccinated uh, and everything else I'm of course I'm concerned Uh, that I get it. More importantly, I'm concerned that I give it to somebody else if I get it without knowing. But it's not the health impacts that worry me the most. I think it's the disruption to the diary. I don't know how we're going to manage this. We will manage it, of course. Uh, But when when I go down with it, I I guess that it's a when, not an if. So far, I've managed to stay clear, or at least I haven't known I've had it. 
But of course, when you're a one camera studio like us, there's no way of doing anything about it. If, I, if I'm ill, I'm ill, the studio closes down. Uh, Michelle and Sarah are just wonderful. Uh, but in the end, I'm the photographer. And so it means delaying the clients and therefore delaying the revenue. So from a business point of view, of course, those things are always something we have to have to manage. Uh, have, as I mentioned, I have just got back from the convention. What an absolutely incredible experience that was. I'm sure I will post a couple of podcasts wrapping up and covering things like what I learned from the judging, what I learned from the award-winning images, what I learned from other photographers. There's a wonderful interview coming up with Ross Grieve from the Talking Shot uh, podcast, a sister podcast to this one, another photographer uh, chatting about, well, photography. A little bit broader his he, he focuses on many more aspects of uh, photography, whereas I'm strictly speaking portraits and then anybody interesting who gets in front of me uh, and I can persuade to sit and have a chat. Uh, we thought we've recorded that one podcast in the bar uh, when eventually I release it. I've, it needs a little bit of cutting down just for a moment. Uh, you will notice the pervasive sounds of drinking and joy going on in the background, including me supping my first pint of Guinness in quite a long time. I haven't had Guinness in ages. <laughs> if, anyone, if anyone in Ireland is listening to this, feel free to invite me over, uh, ostensibly to do something photographic because then it's a business trip, but you know, more or less because I have an absolute love uh, of uh, Guinness in particular, stout in general. Love, love a stout. Uh, and would be very happy, very happy to come and talk photography over a pint, uh, preferably in an Irish pub. Uh, anyway, the convention was a roaring success. Hundreds of photographers uh, in one place. Uh, and as I apocryphally predicted, I was laughing as everyone was hugging. Of course we were. You know, when you've been locked away for two years and suddenly we're all in one place together, there was very little anyone could do but hug and be happy, uh, knowing full well that if only one person walked into that building with COVID, 200 people would walk out with it. Uh, I haven't seen, I haven't seen that many people, but there are a few. Uh, I had a couple of phone calls yesterday from people who'd tested positive and were worried that uh, we might have it, but we haven't. I say we tested negative again this morning. Uh, however, thank you to everyone. What an absolutely glorious few days celebrating photography and loving life. It was an absolutely awesome thing to be involved in. In particular, thank you to everyone that came to uh, the masterclass that Sarah and I ran on in-person sales. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Uh, but everyone who came to that, uh, it was, <laughs> as usual, ours was at 4.30 till 6 on the Friday of the awards night, which means everyone is gathering for drinks at about 6.15, 6.30. And so that we didn't miss out on the drinks, myself and Sarah turned up in our finery, ready to go, ready to go to the awards dinner. So if anyone's out there thinking that we always do our presentations in black tie, you'd be entirely wrong. It really was just a case of fear of missing out. I did not want to miss out on any of the drinks. Uh, and so we uh, donned, donned our finery, did the presentation uh, wearing black tie, ran up to the hotel room at the end of it uh, to drop our stuff in and then ran back down to begin what can only be described as a wonderful, wonderful celebration 
of incredible photography. Uh, the few standout moments for me, of course, uh, Terry and Juliet presenting from the societies. Uh, thank you, Terry. Uh, I don't know if you listen to the podcast, but thank you uh, for inviting me once again to be a judge. Uh, my judging team uh, were just incredible people. I learned loads, laughed lots, uh, and mostly just enjoyed looking at some uh, beautiful and incredibly creative uh, photography. But uh, Terry and Juliet, man handled their way through uh, an awful lot of categories in really good time, giving plenty of time for people to celebrate, but also not dragging it out like so many uh, awards dinners I've been to. It was thoroughly entertaining. Uh, thank you to everyone who popped around, popped their head around the door or caught me in a bar and said hello. Uh, you know who you are. I'm sorry I didn't get time to spend chatting with everybody. I did the best I could, uh, but I was dragged in all directions which is a wonderful problem to have. But I did come away, like so many things, I came away feeling ever so slightly guilty because there were people I really desperately wanted to talk to. Uh, and in the end, I think I spoke to about half, give or take. Um, obviously, I'm waving my arms around while driving the Land Rover doing my estimates. That's not based on any kind of scientifically significant statistics. It's merely, it felt like I only got to talk to about half the people who I had hoped to. So if you if you feel like I missed you out, I'm so sorry. It was just one of those uh, things. Uh, where are we? Uh, what I wanted to talk to talk about today, I'm heading over to the Hearing Dogs in beautiful sunshine, by the way. We're at the foot of the Chilton Hills here. So there's a ridge, it's called the Ridgeway actually, is the path that runs along the top of the Chilterns. Uh, I think it's I think it's Europe's oldest continuously used path or something I don't know, uh, but it is truly beautiful out here. Uh, before we went to the convention, myself and Sarah had a chance to take a little bit of a break. Uh, we took six days out. Uh, sadly, it started with a funeral in North Wales. Uh, a friend of the family in the village in which I grew up passed away uh, at a good age but nonetheless very sad uh, that he died um, and so uh, we started our holiday actually uh, uh, not quite the way we'd anticipated headed up to North Wales and went to I, I guess I, funerals were this odd thing in I think in Western culture I think in many cultures the celebration of a life as opposed to the mourning of a loss um, I think is such a wonderful thing and we're not particularly strong on that front I think we mourn a loss more than we celebrate a life but this wasn't that this was genuinely celebrating a character a man my old head teacher a close friend of the family someone we'd I'd known all my life growing up um, a truly incredible guy and he was one of those people that was so well known in the village and actually bits of stories came out that I knew nothing about or, or if I did I hadn't joined the dots um, and it revolves around the youth club which my dad uh, and lots of others ran in Northup the village I grew up in um, and Brinley the, the, the subject of this particular bit of the story uh, he co-founded and, and him and his wife Pat and uh, my mum and dad set up lots of things to help in the village there was no facilities they set up youth groups and youth clubs and nurseries and things I didn't really know an awful lot of this but what was wonderful was a packed church of the village in which I grew up on the first day that they were 
allowed to sing without face masks in Wales after two years of not being allowed to, and the sound of the famous hymn, Callan Lan being sung at full volume, celebrating an incredible human being, was something really quite moving in its own right. If I hadn't have known the person we were celebrating, it would still have been moving, but of course it was doubly so to see all these people and to celebrate uh, this incredible life. And so that was the beginning of our holiday. Um, uplifting but sad all at the same time bittersweet i suppose is the the cliche uh, and then we drove down to south wales or down to uh, south west wales so we had a week we had six nights booked away three different locations two nights apiece from myself sarah and our relentlessly energetic working cocker rufus so we decided we're going to go on a holiday we're going to take the dog and we're going to go do a lot of walking, a lot of chatting, a little bit of eating, and probably a lot of drinking. Uh, and, it's, and, and as it turned out, quite a lot of driving. So we started the day, we left the funeral, uh, left everybody uh, up in North Wales and drove to South Wales, which is it's about three hours. It's not. I know that there are, there are counties in states, in places like the US and Australia, where that alone is bigger than the whole of the UK. I, I'm aware that we are a tiny island. I've traveled a lot and I'm acutely aware of just how small we are. But three hours for me and Sarah in a Land Rover is still plenty. Uh, we drove down, uh, arrived really late in the evening uh, at our first destination, which was uh, a little cottage high in the hills. So self-catering, uh, but it had a wood-fired uh, hot tub. Now I'm not a one for a hot tub, if I'm honest. Uh, I've always looked at the water in a hot tub with, with a, a kind of dubious caution, uh, if I was to be uh, perfectly straight with you. Uh, but this one was wood-fired, and the uh, owners of the, of the cottage had lit the fire in the hot tub, uh, and so it was burning and roaring when we arrived. It was hot. It was in the Dark Sky Park. So in Wales, there's quite a lot of these where the amount of street lighting and uh, visible lighting is strictly limited. And we're in the Brecon Beacons. So we are, we find ourselves, myself and Sarah, with large, a bottle of wine, which I know you're not supposed to do, but shh, nobody knows. A bottle of wine in a hot tub. And it was wonderful looking at the stars. A couple of nights there. Then we went over to a little hotel further west where quite literally it was so close to the beach that sand was coming in through the doors. A uh, couple of nights there, uh, right, on the, right on the coast, lots of coast walks. Oh God, there's a bumpy bit of road, you can hear that. And then uh, our final destination was a really, the, the, the most expensive of the hotels was two nights in a place, in a place called Panathli, which is near Tembe. It uh, really is West Wales. You are quite a long way over there. You're, to give you an idea of just how far west you are, people don't realise this. When you're out on that tip of West Wales, you are in a northerly direction or southerly direction. You're roughly as far west as Falmouth in the west of Cornwall. You are quite a long way over. Uh, the weather played ball mostly uh, to the point where we're actually concerned we're going to get sunburnt on one of the walks. Um, but just a few days of chilling out, chatting. I did no work. Uh, I took 
I'd actually took both the Z9 and the Z7 Z9, Z7 out with me. Um, partly because if I was going to do some dark sky photography, I wanted the Z9 with me, uh, but if I wanted any walking, I didn't want the weight of that. And the Z7 II, particularly without its battery grip, of course, is absolutely tiny. Um, more on the Z9 in a future podcast. I will give a proper update. I've posted a couple of reviews now, one in particular for the Photo magazine blog. They'd already got reviewers on the magazine, so they didn't use me for that. But uh, as I'm one of the few people that's actually got one and using one uh, in my hands and have had since December, uh, they asked me to write a blog, just a quick was it 800 words or 1,000 words or something on uh, what it's like to use it. And I'll give you a proper posting on that, having spent uh, the past few months with it and I'm about to use it today, photographing hearing dogs. Um, anyway, so we, we dealt with, we stayed in three locations and dealt with four hotels. So let's deal with one of the hotels. The first one, one of the first ones we booked was uh, further north in Wales, but still out on the west coast. And... Just before we set off, Sarah rang. She had already tried once to book a restaurant. They said we couldn't book that far in advance. So we rang about a week ahead and said, uh, could we book a restaurant, please? And to which they said, no, it's fully booked. So we're staying in this hotel, but no, the, the hotel restaurant is fully booked. Okay, that's fair enough. How close is it to walk to another restaurant? And they said it isn't. It's a half-hour drive to anywhere. So we're now looking at ourselves, saying, well, we're paying a lot of money for this hotel and we're staying in the middle of nowhere and you can't eat in the restaurant, which feels to me like they've missed a trick on the service side somewhere to start with. So we tried to cancel. Uh, they wanted some fees. We I went back through the booking agent uh, and cancelled and basically didn't pay any fees, which all credit to Sarah for working her way around that um, because we felt like really they should have let us know that. Given we had already tried to book a table, we really should have been on record as wanting one as soon as they opened up those bookings. And on top of that, <laughs> Sarah did write to them and say, you might want to change your CRM system, is they called her Sarah Dog Wilkinson in the uh, to address, you know, when you write the, who, it, who the email is to, Sarah Dog Wilkinson was the name they used. <laughs> she did email them and say, you might also want to just think about how you combine the information you're using. They came back and said they were really sorry, uh, but it just happened to be the, that's how they knew that we were bringing a dog with us. And as we pointed out, there have got to be better ways of figuring that out or, or keeping a track of that than writing the word dog into the middle of someone's name. Uh, anyway, we had three locations, three completely different sets of service. And I will pick up this thread after I've been and photographed some. So I'm back. <laughs> uh, you have to forgive me. If I sound slightly hot, it is because the temperature outside, what's it recording? Uh, well, it's suggesting the outside temperature is 27.9, which I doubt. I don't think it's that hot, but <laughs> I think wherever the temperature gauge is on the Land Rover, uh, obviously it's accumulating heat. So there we go, it's dropping down to 26. Either way, the inside of my Land Rover is absolutely boiling. Uh, but it's so lovely to have the sunshine as I clatter my way uh, away from um, the uh, hearing dogs. So where was I? Right, I was talking about our holiday. 
Uh, I dealt with the Sarah Dog Wilkinson incident. So now we've got three locations. We've got a little tiny cottage up in the hills in a dark sky. We had then moved on after two days walking the hills around Abergavenny in South Wales. We went to a little village on the Gower, which is, if you get a chance, an absolutely stunning bit of the country to go and explore. It's a tiny little peninsula jutting out into the Bristol Channel, really. Um, and we stayed in this hotel right next to the beach. We rocked up. The, the hotel, if I'm honest, was okay. It wasn't uh, perfect, but it was nice. And the sand, literally the sand from the beach reached the front door of the hotel, which was absolutely beautiful. But we turned up and in our room was a bowl, a dog bowl, and in there was a bag full of dog treats. They didn't call Sarah, Sarah Dog Wilkinson. They didn't call any of us that. But they did have a little note saying, welcoming uh, Sarah, Paul and Rufus, the dog. Um, and they could not have been nicer. The, the quality of the venue, clearly it was a budget, a budget location. We knew that, but it was in a perfect spot. And the staff were beyond reproach. They were incredible. They smiled, they were helpful. They were understaffed. Man, were they understaffed. There were signs everywhere trying to recruit uh, waiters and uh, people on the front desk, front of house staff, behind the scenes staff, you name it. They were trying to recruit it. So in spite of them being understaffed, they still managed to provide essentially perfect service. If I could criticize one thing, it was that because of their staff shortage, they couldn't run the kitchens after eight o'clock at night. So we had to go and find food elsewhere, but that's no great hardship. You know, we're in a bit of the world that's full of pubs that do an evening meal. And so we just went and found food elsewhere. We knew about it in advance, not a big deal. Then our final destination was the most exclusive of all, a beautiful, I mean, you are talking stunning hotel. Not a big hotel, 12 rooms, I think. Small dining room, uh, but uh, Michelin stars and rosettes and things. The interaction with this place had been on the phone in advance, absolutely, again, perfect. Um, but when we got there, the service was it was good service. Don't get me wrong, this is not poor service. Not in any way, shape or form was it poor service. But we'd just come from a budget hotel where the staff could not do enough. They couldn't have been friendlier. They couldn't have been more energetic. They couldn't have been more on the case. You name it, I can tick the box. So in an exclusive hotel, obviously, we're now thinking the service is going to go up. And it didn't. It was good. But it wasn't better. In fact, it wasn't as good. And I guess that's the point, that in spite of its high price, somehow it was the service that was lackluster. Now, the hotel was... Uh, it's my kind of place. Whenever, if, I ever, if I have a choice of somewhere to stay, this is my kind of hotel. It's beautiful. Um, simple, it's not complicated, it's not a big stately home, although it was built in an old stately home. It, the decor wasn't like that. Um, the lounges were all candlelit with an open fire, which when you've come in out of the rain on a walk, is, is there's something about that. The food was to die for, but on the second night, for instance, we went down to the restaurant for our booking, and they were saying they're having to run a reduced menu because two of the three chefs had gone down with COVID. There was no 
apology. There was no, would you like a drink on us because we know we're running a reduced menu uh, and you may be eating exactly the same tonight as you did last night. It was simply a matter of fact. Now, we understand that right now, of all the things, given the, the amount of COVID swirling around us, I understand completely how that's an absolute stress. That's out of your control. Your kitchen having to run a, you know, a third of its capacity, that's out of your control. That's a given. But how you deal with it and how you deal with the customers and how you deal with what certainly is going to be mild disappointment. And it's only a mild disappointment because the menu was a limited menu anyway. It was fine dining, so there aren't that many options. Um, and so you suddenly find that the options you were looking forward to from the night before are not available is a disappointment. There's no getting around it. It's understandable, but still a disappointment. And so your job in the service industry, if, if that's the story you're going to have, if as a photographer the story is that be, because of things beyond our control, for instance, wood supplies are going to cause us problems down the line. All right, Russia has essentially stopped all wood exports except to China. Um, there's been COVID has hit a whole heap of the wood, uh, the wood mills and things, sawmills uh, across Europe. And so we know in advance that we are going to have some kind of supply bumps. And particularly in the UK, now that Brexit is truly showing what Brexit meant, when all those people were yelling, Brexit means Brexit, well, you've got Brexit and this is what it means. It means that supply chains are disrupted and we're going to have problems probably for quite a long time in things like reliable timings and reliable costs. But that's not my client's problem. That's my problem. And how I explain that to them, how I get ahead of it and explain it to them is what this hotel should have done. They, they should have got ahead of the disappointment. They should have understood that in spite of me being or us being completely and utterly aware of the situation and sympathetic that's not the same thing as not being disappointed and they should have got ahead whether it is with look we know we're running short can we at least give you a free drink or can we offer you something some or even just to be honest explain up front uh, and with a, a profuse apology and maybe wait for us to push back and say something I've there are there were better ways of doing it again I emphasize I'm not, the reason I've not given the names of any of these hotels is I don't necessarily think it's fair. I'm not a hotel reviewer. I'm trying to make a point about customer service. And the guys were working hard. You could see that. Long shifts. Anywhere in the hospitality industry, it's a long shift. Um, it was dog-friendly, and I mean it really was dog-friendly. But it didn't make us feel special. We were one of 12, whereas in the other hotel, which I think probably had... I reckon it had 60 rooms available, including a static caravan park. It was that kind of place. We felt truly valued. And I think that's my point, is whatever price point you're at, whatever service, whatever product, whatever quality of imagery in the photography industry you're providing, it's always going to be the service that is the conversation point as you leave. Nice food, yes. Nice decor, yes. Didn't we have a beautiful walk? Yes. Wasn't the wine just delicious? Yes. The service, however, is the conversation that rattles on and it's the service and the relationships you build with people through that service that will be the backbone and the mainstay of a business long term. And I just think it's, it was an interesting exercise for us.
uh, on that front. Now, as an extension, I mentioned earlier, we did uh, a masterclass at the convention on in-person sales. I think I'll probably deal with this in a separate podcast, but I wanted to just raise something because a lot of people ask me in the bar and around about about in-person sales because they could see we're going to run a seminar on it. And a couple of people said that it was very pushy. It was like the old venture. For those of you who are listening to this around the world, I don't know whether Venture Studios are an international uh, thing. Certainly in the UK, everyone, if you say Venture Studios here, every photographer and probably most homes would know what I'm talking about. And they used certain sales techniques. It was always in-person sales, but it was also a very highly pressured sell. Things like you have two weeks to make up your mind. After that, we're deleting your files, etc., etc. So when we say in-person sales, I suddenly found myself with quite a few photographers challenging me on how that was okay. And the point I kept coming back to is let's, let's change the word in-person to personal. Let's, let's start there. Let's start by resetting some language. Um, language is quite powerful. So instead of calling it in-person, let's call it personal. And instead of calling online sales online sales, let's call those impersonal because that's true, right? Personal, you're going to sit there with them. Impersonal, you're not. Very straightforward. So now instead of having in-person sales and on- online sales or remote sales or whatever, we've now got personal sales and impersonal sales. When you get your head around service and you start to think of it with the customer experience first, it seems logical to me as the photographer, as the creative, as the team that deals with thousands of images a month, surely we are the best people to help make sure the client chooses great pictures, that's a given, but presents them in a beautiful way, the most beautiful way, whether that's in an album, whether that's in a portfolio, whether it's in a frame, it's our job as a creative, as an artist, as the people in the room who know the most about it, to be there on hand to provide guidance, not pressure, guidance. None of what we do is pressured. In, in the, and again, I suppose I should just be clear, what we're talking about here is in social photography. And by social photography, what I really mean is anywhere I take a picture where the buyer is in the picture, as opposed to commercial photography where the buyer probably is an accounts payable department for a marketing team, get some pictures of these people. Or I'm working for um, a writer or an actor's agent. Um, And so they're the buyer as opposed to the actor, musician, writer, whoever who's in the shot. Slightly different model for those and a different relationship. But when I'm working with a family or a bride and groom or just a couple who've turned up with their dog, I'm selling to them. I'm going to take some pictures of them and sell them to them. So let's just be clear on that. And when we bring them back, we make a real fuss of them. It's tea and coffee. It's all candle lit. I genuinely laugh. I figure out who's the buyer of the, of the, of, in the group. And I genuinely laugh when I show them the slideshow. Or I tell them that Michelle is going to show them the slideshow. I genuinely say to them, ah, well, that's a wallet softener. You hear the music. You see beautiful pictures of the people you love most in the world. And guess what? I know you'll find it very hard to keep your credit cards in your pocket. It just is what it is. But you'll only do it once every five years or 10 years or for an event. Um, I'd like to keep you as a client. 
because obviously having found you as a client, I really don't want to lose you as a client. So everything we're doing here is to make sure you both enjoy the shoot and the experience of the reveal. And ultimately, from my point of view, you hang something on your wall or you put something on a sideboard that truly represents the values that we have in this business and that clearly shows the love that you have uh, for your family. It's personal sales. It's not impersonal. And going back to our friends in the hotels, you got to remember that it's the service and the experience that truly define the memory that people will go away with as much as it is the product you hang on the wall. And the better the service, the better your reput uh, reputation. Is my view, all right? That's just my view. Anyway, just bear that in mind. Experience. Uh, quick update on the Z9. What have I learned today about the Z9 having just spent the past three hours rolling around in the grass, trying to get pictures of incredibly fast-moving dogs? Uh, well, actually, my big learn today, and I know, I know, I know, these have been available on cameras forever because I often looked at my uh, D3, D5, and all the rest of it. Today, for the first time ever, I sat down and programmed up the shooting banks. So a shooting bank simply means it can save all of the settings. And I set the shooting bank to retain as much information as it can. So that when I walk in and out of the studio at the Hearing Dogs, so I go from shooting a running dog in the sunshine to back inside shooting a dog on a black or a white or a gray background or whatever we're doing, I can literally just change the shooting bank and it will reset the whole camera. And the great thing about the shooting banks now, and I, I need to dig out my, <laughs> I'll go dig out my D4 and D5 and see when this was made available because I suspect it's been there a while and I just <laughs> didn't get around to doing anything with it. You can rename the banks. So I now have a bank that is hearing dogs outside or regular shots outside and hearing dog studio. And I can flick between them really quickly. And the only thing I've noticed that isn't ideal is I really wanted it to retain whether it, the, the viewfinder and the, uh, the display on the back showed a realistic representation of what those settings would mean or not. I can't remember what the setting's called. So basically, if you're in the studio and everything's dark, but you're gonna fire a strobe, you can't work like that. So you turn the mode over, so it gives you an, automatic, an automatically light balanced view of what it sees, but that isn't necessarily what you're gonna see when you shoot it. But when I'm outside, of course, I want to see exactly what it is uh, that I'm shooting. And that's the one setting it doesn't, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't save. However, it saved everything else. Now my fear is that I'm gonna lose my memory, because I, I would walk in out of the sunshine and literally, as we walk back into the studio at the Hearing Dogs, I'd be counting the clicks on the dials and getting the camera reset, ready to go. Uh, from what I don't know, I'll be shooting at ISO 1600 uh, outside, shutter speed around about 2000, f-stop around about f3.3 or f4. And uh, as I walk into the studio, I'm counting clicks to go back to f16, 160th of a second, ISO 200. And now it's on one menu button. It's great. Uh, I wish it saved the preview state, but it doesn't. And I guess my fear now is I'm going to lose the ability to retain in my head the settings for the different parts of the shoot. Because I've been able to do that, well, ever since I picked up a camera, really. I've been able to remember all of the settings. Uh, now uh, the camera does it all for me. Uh, but it's great, and it's really quick, and it saves my client looking at me while I say, oh, I've just forgotten, I've just got to reset uh, as I do that. Uh, so uh, what else? Well, just as I'm driving back into our beautiful village of Haddenham, um, a little bit of merciless, merciless, 
and very visible self-promotion. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, we are just in the process of announcing six workshops. Uh, as certainly four of them will be here at the studio. Possibly five or six will be here at the studio, but we're just working that out at the moment. The first is mastering the studio. So studio lighting, essentially posing, getting great results out of one light, two light, three lights, whatever you've got. Strobes, modifiers, little bits and pieces that we've learned along the way. Uh, that's here at our studio. Uh, then there's one uh, a month later, which is called Mastering Available Light. You'll notice the word mastering appears a lot. That's because we're playing off the title of the Mastering Portrait Photography book. Uh, again, I make no apology for that. Um, mastering Available Light, which is where we do everything with just the light that's around and about. Um, as a few reflectors as possible, probably none, because I tend to, when I'm working outside, I tend not to use reflectors at all. I don't use any kit, I just go out with my camera. Um, so going through the principles of that, uh, lighting, posing, looking for light, understanding how light behaves, how to read it, all of those kinds of things. Then we're doing one, uh, this is, Sarah's theory is this is the one that will sell out first. Uh, I don't know if that's true. Uh, mastering dog photography. Now, I know, I know. I say all the time I'm not really known as a dog photographer, but having worked for 11 years at the Hearing Dogs doing nothing but that, I'm probably fairly well qualified uh, to uh, show the techniques we use, show how to light dogs, show the differences between lighting our canine friends and lighting our human friends, other human owners. So that's called mastering dog photography. That, again, probably here at the studio, but I'm in conversations to see whether we could use a different spot just for that one. Uh, so those are the photography uh, masterclasses or workshops. Then we're doing another three. Uh, we're doing uh, the business of portrait photography, the business of wedding photography, and uh, also one on mastering your workflow from creation through to finished image. Um, and creation really means there'll be a little bit of shooting as well, just showing how I reduce our workload down the line. Uh, by shooting uh, close to what it is that we're actually going to need and shooting consistently. So those are the six. If you have a look at our website, go to paulwilkinsonphotography.co.uk. That's paulwilkinsonphotography.co.uk. Uh, you should see them up there. Just if you spot that uh, the, places are the places are strictly limited, really limited, so that we have time. Uh, to both explain things, for everybody to get a go with, we're using models and things, uh, for us to really have proper conversation. So uh, it's literally it's single digit numbers. You can buy it online if you want, you can just click purchase now. Um, but uh, of course you can ring in and uh, Michelle, Sarah or myself will happily talk you through what's going to happen on each day uh, and whether you uh, fancy doing it. So that's that, there's uh, six of those. Uh, and like I said, it's, mer it's, it's shameless, shameless self-promotion. But given it's my podcast, uh, I think I'm allowed to promote myself as long as I declare I'm promoting myself. I don't know. Do I have to? Do I have to say this is a sponsored podcast because I sponsored it myself? No, surely not. Um, so that's those six workshops. Go onto our website, paulworkinsonphotography.co.uk um, and have a look uh, and see if any of those are, uh, look appealing to you. Hopefully they do. If not, drop me an email if you fancy a course that uh, isn't listed there. We are still doing our one-to-one -one dedicated uh, uh, masterclasses where basically you can pick and choose any topic you like and we'll spend the whole day, just uh, the two of us or with Michelle and Sarah or with a model or if you bring somebody with you, 
Uh, those are still available. I'm just reworking the website, website around those. If you fancy that, again, give us a call. Describe the kind of thing that you're looking for, uh, and I'm sure we'd be able to put together a, a pretty intense day um, going through that. So that's it. That's our update. Um, I will keep you posted on everything else. And in the glorious sun, I've just parked outside our little thatched cottage uh, here in the heart of the village. I'm going to go have a cup of tea and let's see just how many pictures of the running dogs were, were pin sharp and bang on focus. I hope all of them, but I'll let you know. On that happy note, uh, please do subscribe wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Uh, please do leave us a review. Please do drop me an email. I've just seen an email come in uh, from someone right now, literally, uh, just before I uh, started the engine. An email popped in uh, saying thank you for the podcast. It's always appreciated. You have no idea just how grateful we are to be able to do this stuff uh, and to have people who actually listen to it. And on that happy note, whatever else you do on this gorgeous, sunny March day, be kind to yourself, guys. Take care. Yeah.